0: This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Well, hello, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher for this podcast, Jeremy Myers. And I don't know if you've ever wondered about the doctrine of election. Maybe you've gotten into debates about people, uh, with people about predestination and election. You know, what does it mean? How does God decide whom he predestines? What are they predestined to? And if he elects people to go to heaven, then does he elect people to go to hell? All of those sorts of questions. I am going to do my best in today's podcast episode to provide you with a framework an understanding, an explanation of the word election in Scripture. And when you have this understanding, all of these difficult Bible passages about election will make a whole lot more sense. And you can stop arguing and debating this with your other Christian friends. Unless you enjoy that, (laughs) then you can still do those debates as well. Okay, so that's what we're going to be talking about today, this doctrine of election, how to understand it. I will define the word And then we will look at several key passages from the Bible that use the word. I'm not going to do the most famous passages, Ephesians 1 and Romans 9, in this podcast episode. I will be devoting an entire podcast to each one of those. The next two podcasts will likely be one of them on Ephesians chapter 1 and then another podcast episode on Romans chapter 9. So make sure you join me for that and subscribe to the podcast. Now, I also want to let you know I've written a book on election, And it is called The Rejustification of God. Sort of a boring title, but, and it's also a boring cover on that book, but there are reasons for both of those. And if you go to Amazon, and look for the read justification of God. Uh, you can read sort of the intro to that book and discover why it has a boring cover and a boring title. And then maybe, if you'd like, uh, purchase and read the rest of the book as well to discover the, what the Bible means about election and also how to understand Romans 9. Because God hardening Pharaoh's heart and um, all of the debatable questions, passages in Romans chapter 9. Okay, so uh, we're going to... Uh, define it for you in today's podcast episode anyway, and then look at several key texts. Thank you so much for joining me. Without any further ado, let's just dive into today's podcast study. So uh, it is a controversial issue, biblical doctrine of election, uh, but it doesn't really need to be so. I think if we carefully study the various passages that talk about election in their various contexts... Right, grammatical context, historical, cultural context, all of the others, then we discover what the word election means and discover that we don't need to debate it at all because it's not a controversial topic after all, but a beautiful teaching from Scripture. All right, so that's what I'm going to do today is seek to define this word for you, and then we'll look at several key texts. So the, the word election comes from the Greek word The noun is ekloge, the adjective eklektos, and the verb is eklego, okay? And they all mean the same thing, chosen, select, you know, to choose, to select, something like that. And honestly, I wish that our Bible translators, you know, whether it's the New International Version, King James, New King James, whatever Bible translation you might use, NAS, okay? I wish they had just translated these words as choose or chosen, Consistently, Uh, because that right there would have reduced a lot of the confusion surrounding the word elect. As soon as we get this word elect in our Bible translations, it raises it, it, adds all this confusion, all these questions into the minds of most people who are trying to study scripture. By the way, it's not the only word in this family of ideas, there's also calling, foreknowledge, predestination, ordained. Um, you know, foreordained even, all right? and and But when you understand what the Bible teaches about election, or the word choose, or to choose, all right, then you can apply that definition of that word to those other words as well, and and they they tend to start to make more sense in their passage as well, okay? So here's the thing. I'm just going to lay it right out for you from the beginning. We're not going to have any huge introduction here, the best way to understand this word, elect, uh, Electas okay, uh, eklego, depending on the word, is that it means to choose, but in all of the verses, all of the passages where it is used, it is never referring to God choosing or selecting certain people to go to heaven when they die. Right? God does not elect people to receive eternal life. That is where all of the debate comes from. People think that election means God choosing certain people out of all the people of the world to receive eternal life, and he doesn't choose the rest, and so they end up going to hell or something. Okay, and, and, But it's because of that misunderstanding that we have the debates. But there's no passage in Scripture where it means that. Instead, God does elect people and groups of people, but not to eternal life. Instead, he chooses them or selects them, whether people or individuals, to perform certain tasks in this world. God has a plan for this world. He's, you know, He brought Jesus, and He He elected Israel and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of that. Okay, the forefathers. Uh, he He chose the twelve apostles. He He raised up the church. Why? Because God is trying to accomplish something in this world, and to help Him accomplish His task and purpose, His goal in this world, God chose, selected, elected certain people and groups of people to perform certain tasks. And that is the biblical doctrine of election. All right? In other words, election is not to eternal life, but to service. You get that idea in your mind, and it is going to clear up all of the biblical passages about election, and also do away with this whole needless and harmful debate that we have in Christianity about election. You know, we have here in the United States, we have this important election coming up in just uh, less than a month from now, from when I'm recording this. And I would invite you to think about a biblical election the same way that our country, Practices, government elections. Okay, when you go to the ballot box uh, the first Tuesday in November to cast your vote, to elect somebody, what are you doing? You are making a choice. You are selecting somebody to serve in a particular role so that they can accomplish a particular task. And hopefully, if the person you elect is actually wins the election, hopefully they actually go and do what they promised to do. That's often the problem with our politicians, isn't it? <laughs> you vote them into office to do something and then they go back on their word and they don't do it at all. All right. But the do- the idea is the same. When you cast your vote, you are choosing electing somebody to perform a certain task. I want you to think about the biblical doctrine of election the same way, except in this case, it is God himself who's doing the electing. It is God himself who is—there's only one vote, and it's God's, okay? And so when God elects people, he is choosing them for a particular office, for a particular function, to perform a certain task that will help him accomplish his plan and purposes in the world now when you have that idea of election it becomes obvious that god can elect groups of people right like who well nation of israel for example they are an elect nation okay and we can t- think and look through biblical history and discover why god raised up israel through abraham isaac and jacob and so on why is it so that every single israelite would go to heaven and receive eternal life No, I think if you read through the biblical account of the Old Testament, you discover quite rapidly that just because, and we even see this mentioned all over the place in the New Testament, Paul and elsewhere, just because someone is part of the nation of Israel, that does not mean they have eternal life. But God chose the nation of Israel, right? They are the elect nation, right? Yes, God chose them for a purpose, to perform a certain task, accomplish a certain function. But that doesn't mean that every single individual Israelite has eternal life. Why? Because election is not to eternal life. Election is to service. Uh, We're going to look at a passage in a little little bit where God clearly says that Jesus chose Judas. Well, was Judas, does Judas have eternal life? There's actually some people who think so, and they actually have a good case for it, possibly, but most people think not, okay? Yet he was chosen, along with the other 11, by Jesus. Of course, the church also is chosen, and uh, yes, everybody in the church has eternal life, but they have eternal life because they believed in Jesus for it. They don't have eternal life because they are elect. The church is elect by God to accomplish a certain task, fulfill a certain function, in this earth. All right? And by the way, yes, if someone is elect or chosen by God to perform a certain task or function, God's not going to force them to do it. God does not force anyone to do anything. In my own opinion, this is one of the reasons that Paul was chosen to be an apostle. I believe that Jesus tasked Peter and the other disciples, other apostles, to perform certain tasks and functions to help spread the church. That's what he gave them in the Great Commission, right? To take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth at Acts 1.8. But (laughs) they hung out in Jerusalem. Even when persecution came, they were hiding out, hanging out in Jerusalem. They never got past Jerusalem. And so, God's chosen group of people to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth uh, were maybe not doing the best job that they could. And so in my opinion, I believe this is one of the reasons that God raised up Paul, an apostle as one abnormally born, Paul says, right? Why? So that he could be an apostle to the Gentiles and finish the task that Jesus started and that Jesus told his apostles to continue. Right, to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Anyway, it's just to show you that just because God elects someone, right, it's not irresistible. Someone can resist the election of God and say, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, Maybe through selfishness or ignorance or who knows what might happen, but they can resist God's will in this matter. And again, this is important because election's not to eternal life. Election is to service. God chooses, selects, raises up certain people to accomplish certain things. And sometimes those people can say, No, I'm not going to do that. And so that doesn't tie God's hands, though. It doesn't limit God from accomplishing his will. He just raises up somebody else. He just chooses or selects somebody else to do what he wants done in this world. Okay? So that is the basic way of understanding election election is to service, not to eternal life. By the way, there's a great book on this. I already mentioned mine, The Rejustification of God, but if you want to see this as well, uh, one of the uh, other uh, great books on this topic is the book written by Sean Lazar, and it's called Chosen to Serve, an excellent book which I highly recommend as well that you can also get on Amazon, okay? Now, with that idea in mind, let's talk about a few passages just to show this idea in a little more detail. One of these is Matthew 20:16. Uh, it's also quoted, the same exact verse is found in Matthew twenty two fourteen, 14. And it says this, Jesus says, For many are called, but few are chosen. I don't know if you've ever heard someone try to explain this passage, many are called, but few are chosen. The idea is often presented that God puts out this sort of general calling on everybody to receive eternal life, but only those, only those few who are chosen for eternal life You know, this is the effectual call you sometimes hear people refer to it. Only those who who were elected by God actually respond. And so that's why when you go evangelizing or witnessing or have crusades or whatever, only some people respond, right? That's how those verses are often explained. All right, but I am proposing a different understanding, especially in light of the parables that surround these statements. Right? Jesus is not teaching that God gives a general call for all to receive eternal life, and only a few, the elect few, respond to it. All right. Instead, uh, what we see in the parables that surround this, for example, the parable of the workers in the vineyard in Matthew 20, 1-15, is that the, wor- the, the, the vineyard owner goes and he does issue a general call. Hey, I need people to work in my vineyard. All right, And those who come forward and say, (laughs) raise their hand in a sense, yeah, I'll work, I'm looking for work, that's why I'm here hanging out in the marketplace waiting for someone to have some work for me, those are the few that are chosen to work in God's vineyard. And notice that in the parable of the vineyard, the vineyard owner makes several different invitations over the course of the day you know, the grapes need to come in, the sun's starting to go down, so even at the 11th hour he goes and he hires more. And every time someone responds, he says, okay, I'll hire you. I'll let you work. This is about service. Who are those that are chosen? Those who want to work, all right? And so um, he chooses to hire and pay any who respond to his invitation. Now, Thankfully, again, despite what some teach, this parable is not about who receives eternal life, because if it were, then those who receive eternal life are those who what? Take the initiative in responding and also work hard in the vineyard during the day. But eternal life isn't about us and our initiative and our hard work, is it? And that's not what this parable is about either. This parable is about working and serving in this world to accomplish what God wants. And notice even these 11th hour workers. <laughs> I always find it funny. Uh, he goes, the, the vineyard owner goes, uh, the, the 11th hour, and, you know, how come you guys aren't working? Well, nobody's hired us. <laughs> Well, look—they're uh, either liars because they say we, we've been here all day and nobody's hired us. Well, the vineyard owner has been there multiple times during the day asking to uh, hire people. So either they're lying, right, that they haven't—they really haven't been there all day and they're, they're, they just got there, uh, or maybe they're lazy, right? <laughs> they slept in and you know. Who who knows what they did? And so now they're finally showing up, hoping to get work at the end of the day. Maybe they're greedy. Maybe, you know, they were there and they just can't were waiting for a better opportunity to come along. Okay. It doesn't matter. Jesus says, okay, you can come work for me too. And again, lots of people have trouble with this, you know, about deathbed conversions and all of that, which I'm fine with. I think the grace of God extends even to deathbed conversions, just like the thief on the cross. It's not a big deal. But again, this parable isn't about conversions at all. It's about working uh, in God's service for God's kingdom. So Jesus is showing here that uh, while many people are called to participate in his work, what he's doing, how he runs the world, only those who show up are chosen to do so. That should be an encouragement to you and me. If you want to get involved in what God is doing in the world, well, guess what? Just show up. Raise your hand. Say, yeah. I'm here, God, what can I do for you? And he is going to choose you. Even if in the past, <laughs> you've been like these 11th hour workers, right? Liars, lazy, greedy, whatever, it doesn't matter. God will accept you and allow you to take part in his work of spreading the kingdom of God and the message of the gospel upon the face of the earth. All right. So that's this uh, Matthew 20:16. Let's go on to another passage, Matthew 24, 22. Uh, 24, 31, this is sort of a prophecy about the end of days, and uh, Jesus says, I'm just read three of these verses, and unless these days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. You heard the word elect in there. Uh, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Wow, even the elect can be deceived. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. Okay, I'm not going to get into all the end times prophecy about this. I just want to point out a few things. First of all, Matthew 24, 22, uh, it says that uh, if the, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. This just, again, another passage, as I've taught many, many times before, The word saved in the Bible does not mean receive eternal life, go to heaven when you die, okay? It means delivered, deliverance. And whenever you see the word saved or salvation, I encourage you to look in the context and try to decide what kind of deliverance is in view. And here it's just about physical death. He's not saying unless those days were shortened, no one would receive eternal life, no. (laughs) Jesus is saying unless those days were shortened, everyone would be killed. All right, So uh, that's just what the word saved means. Do that little exercise whenever you see the word saved in scripture, the passage will make a whole lot more sense. Matthew 24 is not about going to heaven when you die. okay? It is about deliverance from physical death during the tribulation. All right. second though, uh, and, and more on point to what we're talking about in today's study, the word elect cannot refer, to a select group of individuals whom God has chosen from eternity past to receive eternal life. Right? I mean, we see several clues to this all over the place. For example, the text says some of them will be deceived by false Christs and false prophets. Isn't that strange? Those who teach that the elect are sovereignly decreed from eternity past— Right? To receive eternal life, and this calling of God is irresistible, and they cannot do anything to stop this election from happening and receiving eternal life and so on. They're regenerated before they even believe in Jesus. But then Jesus turns around and says, yeah, but they also can be deceived by false prophets and false Christ." Now, wait a second. I thought God overrode their ability to believe or not to believe. God decided himself what they will and will not believe. But here, they believe they are deceived by false Christs and false prophets? What, did God ordain that as well? No, it makes a whole lot more sense to realize that God is not controlling people's beliefs and behaviors. He is not ordaining, deciding, determining what people do, what people believe. All right? And the same way with this election here, these are not elect to eternal life. These are elect to service. And some of them are believers, some of them maybe are unbelievers, but they have been chosen to perform certain tasks in this world, and some of them can be deceived. All right? Third, this idea of uh, gathering the elect from the four winds. I don't think this refers to the rapture event. Uh, but to God gathering the Jewish people from all over the world or corners of the earth to return to Israel so that God's plan and purposes for them can be fulfilled. I don't know what your view is regarding Israel. My view, though, is that just because the Israelite people in the first century AD rejected Jesus, that does not mean that God rejected Israel. I believe that God made promises to Israel, and God keeps his promises, even when we do not. And so, since some of the promises that God has made to Israel have not yet been fulfilled, I believe those promises will be fulfilled at some time in the future. All right, and so I think that's what Jesus is referring to here. At some point— And maybe we see this beginning to happen in beginning in 1948. I don't know. I'll leave that up to the prophecy experts. But I think Jesus is saying here, remember, the Jewish people were part of God's elect. And so at the end, God will gather his elect, the Jewish people, from the four corners of the earth. Why? So that he can fulfill his promises to them. And therefore, so that they can fulfill what God wanted for them as his elect. Okay, so uh, Matthew 24 is not teaching that God elects some people to eternal life while passing over the rest. It's about God's plan for Israel. And yes, dark and terrible days are coming, but that's not going to stop God from fulfilling His plan and or, or from uh, keeping His promises to Israel. All right, so this passage is not about who has eternal life, who doesn't. It's about God's plan to keep His word. And make good on his promises. All right, it's all obviously about a lot of other things as well, but that's that's just what it's about in regard to the word election. All right, John six seventy. Jesus says, "Did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil." <laughs> all right. So Jesus doesn't say, did I not choose or elect you, the 11, and one of you is unredeemed because I didn't elect you. No, Jesus clearly includes Judas in with the elect, 12 apostles. And so you are faced with a choice here. If you believe that election is to eternal life, then you must agree that Judas has eternal life. Because Jesus here says that Judas is among the twelve elect apostles. All right? But if you agree with me that election is not to eternal life, that election is to service, then you have no problem with this verse if you think that Judas was not regenerate, that Judas did not have eternal life. Because Judas, even as an unregenerate non-believer, can still be chosen elect by God, by Jesus, to fulfill a certain purpose, fulfill a certain function, perform a certain task, which is exactly what he did. Judas fulfilled many promises, uh, prophecies uh, by rejecting the Messiah, betraying him for 40 pieces of silver, and so on, okay? So uh, I-, I don't know what your views are on Judas, whether he was a believer or not, whether you will see him in heaven or not. By the way, there's a great book out there called, I think it's called Judas and Divine Grace, uh, which does present the view that Judas was regenerate, that we will see him in heaven in eternity. And I think that that would be a wonderful portrait of God's grace, even upon Judas himself. Wouldn't that be spectacular? Um, But uh, again, I'll just leave that for your own consideration and study. Honestly, it doesn't really matter what you believe about Judas as far as what we see in this verse. Judas was elect among the twelve, okay? And it was to perform a certain task or function or purpose, which is exactly what Judas did. All right, another text, John 15, 16. I think we'll stop with this one. Jesus, again, teaching in the upper room discourse here, final parting words to his disciples, his apostles, before he goes to the crucifixion, to the cross. And he says, you did not choose me, But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. All right, uh, Jesus provides a very clear statement here through the pen of John about what election is. He doesn't say, and I have chosen you that you may receive eternal life. No, he says, I have chosen and appointed you that you should bear fruit. Election is to service. It's to bearing fruit. It's to being productive. Or is it productful? I can never remember. Okay, It's about bearing fruit in God's kingdom and society. All right, And, and Jesus is saying, look, and, and by the way, at this point, it is only the 11. Judas has already gone out. All right, And so he is saying to the 11 that, wait, is that right? Now I'm getting my passages mixed up. Um, anyway he is saying to to the disciples in the upper room that uh, he has chosen them to go and bear fruit all right a similar passage found in Mark 3 where Jesus chose the twelve apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach again he's not choosing them oh I have chosen you 12 specially out of all the people of Israel so that you might receive eternal life no election is to service election is not. To eternal life. All right. So uh, John 14, 15, 16 is all about these um, uh, apostles. And I was I was correct before. I'm just looking at the text here. Judas left in John 13, 30. Okay. So before the upper room discourse even began. So he is gone at this point. I was correct. <laughs> I had a little brain hiccup there, uh, but he has gone. And so the 11 apostles, they have questions, and Jesus is just reminding them look, I'm going to go away. You can't follow me. And I know that's distressing to you, but don't don't be afraid because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Why? So that you can continue to fulfill the task and purpose and function that I've been training you for for the last three years. And though I leave, all right, it's for a good reason, but you're going to go out. You're going to take the gospel. You're going to teach others what I have taught you. This is the reason I have chosen you. This is the reason I have elected you. He says, Jesus says, you didn't choose me for this. I chose you so that you can go out and teach and train others in the way that you have been taught by me. That's what Jesus is saying. Okay. And that's John 15. Now we are going, I know that you probably have lots of other questions about various election passages in the Bible. For example, Ephesians chapter 1, very, very famous election predestination passage in scripture, and maybe even Romans 9, 10, and 11 also maybe the most famous chapters about election predestination in scripture. I will be talking about both of those in the next two podcast episodes. One of them will be devoted to Ephesians chapter 1, and the other one to Romans chapter 9, I also hope, and I haven't got confirmation on this yet, but I hope to interview Sean Lazar on his book, Chosen to Serve. So that will probably be another podcast episode as well. And I've reached out to him on Facebook and he just has not yet confirmed, but I'm pretty confident we'll be able to get him on here to talk about his book. In the meantime, I encourage you to go get his book on Amazon, Chosen to Serve. Go look for it there. And my own book, The Rejustification of God in which I talk about this concept of election and especially how it helps us understand Romans chapter 9. So anyway, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast episode. I really hope you found it helpful and beneficial in, your doc- in understanding the doctrine of election. Most importantly, recognize that you, as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, you are elect. God has chosen you to accomplish something wonderful and amazing in this world. The only question for you is, are you doing it? If you don't know why God has raised you up, chosen you, selected you, elected you, seek His face in prayer, seek His will in Scripture, and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, mold you, form you, break you even, if necessary. So that you can understand your role in God's plan for this world and how you can fulfill that role as one of His elect. Well, thank you so much for listening. And, and hey, if you have questions or comments about this, you can go to the blog post that is related to this podcast episode. Just go to redeeminggod.com slash, let's see, election is to service. That will be the URL, the address, redeeminggod.com, election is to service, and you can leave your question or comment there. Thank you so much for listening. Can't wait to talk to you again next week when we look at how to understand election and predestination in Ephesians chapter 1. See you then. Okay, bye.